So we're starting a brand new series this week, and um, it's, it's basically going to be a time where we go through the basics of who God is, how God reveals himself to us, and um, if you are a person that is sort of just checking out church, or you sort of have questions about Jesus, but you wouldn't uh, necessarily call yourself a Christian, this is a series that's designed very much for you. If you're a person that's returned to church for the first time after a very long time, this series is very much for you. If you would consider yourself a, almost a lifelong Christian, you've been a, a believer for a very long time, there are, there are certain things that are so confusing about Christianity and so seems, seems like many times divisive, so many different things that people believe about this, believe about that. And uh, unfortunately, Christianity has, has been viewed by so many people as sort of a hard thing to understand. People seem to be very judgmental. There seems to be a lot of different rules. Seems to be a lot of different things that people believe. So what's right? What do I have to believe? If I'm going to be a Christian, what do I got to do? So many people want to know. And, uh, but even if you are a Christian, um, I have this happen every now and then. It had happened after the first service where a person came up and said, you know, you're, you're constantly, every time you speak, there's things that that I thought that I knew. There's things that I was taught my entire life that I'm realizing, wow, I, I don't think that was right, and it gives me a new perspective. So uh, I think this is going to be a great series for everyone. What, we're, what I'm sort of going to do with this, I added a, a sort of an introductory uh, message to this series. For those of you that are vocabulary buffs, this will be a prolegomenon to the series. Look it up. It's a word. That's why God made Google. But uh, what it is is we, we get questions all the time. I, I get this question many times. Um, you know, what, what do you believe at Stonebrook anyway? Because some people that have never been here, you know, Christians sort of think we're maybe sort of a little strange. E- even people that wouldn't call themselves church people. For example, we, we put out a postcard in the mail. Oh, it's been a couple years ago. We were doing a series on proofs and evidences for God. But on the front of the postcard, we simply put, there is no God. It was actually to catch people's attention, and because there are all kinds of people that say there is no God. So we just put that on the front of a postcard. Now on the back, we explain, hey, we're starting a new series where we talk about different evidences, different logical reasons, scientific reasons, historical reasons, theological reasons why we believe there is a God. But so many people, they would even say, oh, you know, Stonebrook, I don't think they even believe in God out there. I'm not sure what they, what do they get. They just get together and eat donuts. I don't know what it's about. So, so people wonder, what is it that you believe? So we get this question so much. In fact, we got this question last week and because uh, we've been answering questions. It says, as a church, what do you believe? Why do you believe it? And uh, how do you know it's true? And I don't know if we'll get to answer all those questions this week, but as the series goes along, you'll begin to see these things. And also, we're going to see what is, this will start next week really, what is the starting point for faith? Uh, as, as adults, many times you reflect back on your childhood, and so many people were raised in church, and you were almost handed a starting point, or you were, you were handed a faith. And as you begin to go through adulthood, many times you begin to question that, and uh, sometimes the basis for that faith begins to crumble. We're going to talk about what is the real starting point, what is the foundation for our faith. But what I thought I would do is real quickly, and we don't have a whole lot of time this morning to do this, and I didn't make it through in the first service, but go through what our basic statement of faith is. Now, too many times, uh, my experience with church in all the, the different churches I've been in in my life is churches build walls with their beliefs. And I believe Jesus has called us to build bridges, not walls. But too many times, churches' beliefs become obstacles 
or fences that keep people out by saying, if you don't believe everything exactly this way, we don't think you're actually a true believer. You're not a real, uh, a, a phrase that was thrown around when I was young is, a real New Testament church. Are you a New Testament church? I don't know. What is a New Testament church? So, but what I, when we first started the church, I wanted a, a list of basic beliefs that could be put on one page. Because I hated that every church I've been to, the, the beliefs were, we believe in the infallible, undeniable, inerrant word of the living God that was brought to us by the holy men of old. And it's like, I don't even know what these words mean. Just give me the basics. Just bottom line me here. So that's what we've done. And I want to go through these real quickly to give us sort of just a starting point for our series called Starting Point. So here we go. Here is how we phrase our beliefs. And, and if you need to reference this anytime or you need, have friends that need to know, you can go to stonebrook.tv and um, this is listed on the website. But here's what we say from the very beginning. We welcome anyone. Just say that with me. Anyone. Anyone in our church, regardless of background or belief. We don't care who you voted for in the last election. We don't care if you're liberal, conservative, Democrat, Republican. We don't care. We don't want to know. We don't care if you were raised in a church, a mosque, a synagogue, a temple, or just running wild as a heathen of the world. We don't care. You are welcome here no matter what you believe. If you're just checking out this Jesus thing, we have people that attend Stonebrook that don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And that's okay. And that makes some Christians, by the way, really, really upset because how can you say somebody can come to your church and they don't believe? Because the option is that they will not believe and not come to my church. And I would rather them come here because maybe there might be a change. Maybe I might have some insight into why the way that we as Christians are presenting things is not getting through. So anybody is welcome here. Beliefs are not a wall. They're not a fence. We want to be inclusive because too many times churches have become so exclusive by we believe this particular thing. Churches have split. I know I can tell you church after church after church. I know of a church in a town not too far from here. They had just started. They were six months old. They had a meeting on Wednesday night and began to, to discuss and eventually got in a fight, a knockdown, drag out fight, because some of them thought you could never lose your salvation once you become saved. The others thought you could lose your salvation. So they all decided we can't go to church together because we don't believe exactly alike and now there's no church. And the projection in the community is Christians are nuts. Do you know why? Because Christians are nuts. <laughs> so if you're here expecting Christians that are nuts, I don't know, we may disappoint you as well. But here we go. At Stonebrook Church, our beliefs are simple, but essential. They're very simple. Jesus constantly would say to the crowd, if you want to enter into the kingdom of God, you've got to become like a child. Christians have repeatedly, over and over and over, made things more and more complicated, more and more things that you have to do, more and more things that you have to believe a certain way and act a certain way. But we believe that Jesus came to simplify things. And at the core, then, this is the bottom line. At the core, we believe that Jesus is the risen Son of God, and he's the only way to relationship with God. That is the foundation. That's the basics. Jesus, one time, the reason, where we got this is from Jesus himself. Because Jesus was asking his various followers, he said, hey, what's the word on the street about me? You know, we've been doing this thing for about three years. What are people saying about me? And they said, well, some say that you are Elijah, risen from the dead. Some say you're John the Baptist that's risen from the dead or one of the other prophets. 
And that's what's happening today. People don't think Jesus is John the Baptist, but most people have a misunderstanding of who Jesus is. The same thing happened when Jesus was on the earth. He asked his disciples, what do people think? And they all gave, they gave him something that everybody was thinking, and they were all wrong. That's why we have a place where people can come to try to share who, how God really is in the person of Jesus. But Jesus then said, well, who do you say I am? And one of his followers said, well, we believe that you are the Christ. The word Christ is a Greek translation of what the Jews would call Messiah or the anointed one, the Savior, the one that's coming to save us. We believe you're that guy, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, you know, my Father in heaven actually revealed that to you. Then he goes and he says, upon this rock. Now, if he was alive today, he would have probably said, upon this concrete. What he's meaning is, upon this foundation, I will build my church. That's why we believe this is the foundational thing. If you say, well, what do I have to do to be a Christian? Well, we're not talking so much about what you have to do. But at at some point, it will dawn on you, or you will realize that Jesus actually is who he says he is, the risen Son of God, and he's the only way to relationship with God. Everything else, everything else, we can have conversations about. Everything else, there are disagreements about. You may believe a certain thing, I may believe a certain thing. Of course, I'm right, you're wrong. But everything else is up for discussion. The basics of our beliefs are listed below, but remember, this list is merely representative not exhaustive. There's lots of different things we could talk about as far as minor, minor things that we believe, but we're trying to sort of work on the big ones. Number one, God is our creator. Everything, including us, exists for his purpose and pleasure. We believe that God made everything, including us. And we believe that your life will never be fulfilling until you realize the fact that you were made by God for a purpose. That your life isn't just about eating, making money, going out, having friends, working for the weekend, eventually retiring, getting a boat and fishing and playing golf. That there is a purpose that God made everything. The reason you have people to serve at the job that you work for, the reason you have the strength to be there, the reason that there are other people in your life that you married and kids is because God made that happen. He created all that and he has a purpose for your life. He has a destiny for your life. He has a reason that you live. And we believe because God is our creator, it gives us that purpose. Now, when it comes to creation, for example, I'm going to read the very first book in the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in the beginning. When was the beginning? It's the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, Here's what I I want you to see. When it comes to various Christians, Christians right here, starting right off the bat in the very, very first first verse of the Bible, Christians disagree about how God created. Some people believe that the earth is called being a young earth believer. Some people believe that the earth is very young, 6,000 to 10,000 years old, and that the story in Genesis chapter 1 is a very literal story, that God created the earth six to 8,000 years ago in 24-hour days, and that everything we see, the stars, the moon, the earth, the sun, the dinosaurs, everything was created in that amount of time, and the earth is very young. There are people that go to our church that believe that. There would be other people that attend our church who would believe that the earth is very, very old, 
that the universe probably came into existence with a huge bang about 13.67 billion years ago, that the earth's probably about four and a half uh, billion years old, and that God created it all right, but then he used evolutionary process to bring everything to pass. There are people, I have actually a different view from either one of those, which I won't go into detail right now. It's just going to make you wonder. I've talked about it just a little bit. Once again, you all are wrong, I'm right. But the very first chapter of Genesis, some people would also say that, you know, Genesis 1, chapter, verse 2 and 3, the story of creation, the story of Adam and Eve, is not actually a literal story, that it is Hebrew poetry, that it is an allegory. Adam and Eve weren't actually real people that it's just uh, a very beautiful poem. It's an allegory that shows how God created, but it's not literally that he made them out of dirt and that he took a rib out of Adam and made Eve. Those aren't really people. They're just representative of mankind in general. Now, here's the thing that I want you to get about the way beliefs are. Remember, at the core, we believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Were Adam and Eve real people? I think yes. Is it possible that they weren't real people? Yes, it's entirely possible. And I know people that love Jesus with all their heart that don't believe Adam and Eve were real people. And that's okay. What we do believe is God created us. Our faith is not based on Adam and Eve. And this is what I really want Christians anyway to get, is because too many times we present to people various stories from the Bible, and they're like, are you telling me a big fish ate a dude and then spit him out? Now, now look, see, I personally believe that actually happened. But there are people that have very good evidence. And there's, I believe, parts of truth for it, that the book of Jonah is a Hebrew comedy. There are parts in it, if you study Hebrew literature, where when they would read the book of Jonah, Hebrew people would have laughed out loud. They would have, however you spell LOL in Hebrew, they would have done that. Now, the trouble is that so many people, especially young people, you go to church and you hear God is our creator and you believe, somebody told you, you know, the earth's just 6,000 years old and you believe them because some dude like me stood on a stage and told you that. But then you go to freshman biology class at college and the professor convinces you that there's scientific evidence that the earth isn't just 6,000 years old. And because your faith is tied up in believing every little thing exactly the same and exactly right, it becomes a house of cards when you're presented with, wow, maybe, maybe the earth's like four and a half billion years old. And, you know, if there's stars that are 65,000 light years away, how could they have just been created 6,000 years ago and the light took 65,000... It just doesn't add up, and your faith begins to crumble. Well, our faith isn't in the fact that Adam and Eve were real people, that a whale could swallow a guy, that Noah could somehow get all, all the animals in the entire earth on one boat. Maybe that's a poem. Maybe it actually happened. I believe it actually happened. But we don't have to believe everything exactly the same. But our basic faith is we do believe God's our creator, that we didn't just happen somewhere, somehow, God created us in the beginning. And then we can have conversations about those things and learn some amazing things about God. Secondly, this is a big one. God has revealed himself to us through his word, Jesus Christ. Now, almost all of my life, 
I would have said, God has revealed himself to us through his word, the Bible. But we believe that God actually is best represented. That God made sure we knew what he thought, what he did, his attitude toward things, his love for us, by actually coming in the flesh, God in a bod, in Jesus Christ, and what everything Jesus said, everything Jesus did, that that is a demonstration of who God is. And uh, the reason we get that is from here in John chapter 1. John was, in a, was a follower of Jesus, one of his closest friends. And John wrote this about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning, I'm sorry, I'm quoting King James. I went back to King James in my, my, in my brain. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now that Word, Word, does that make you feel like you're from the 90s? Word. Word up. Word to your mother. What does word to your mother mean? I don't know. Don't tell me if it's something bad. I don't know. Anyway, I, wasn't, I was never cool, actually. But that, that word, word, is a little Greek word that is, in the Greek, it's logos, L-O-G-O-S, logos. In the beginning, the logos already existed. When, when it says word, what it means is the message or what it is that God wants to say, how God wants to, what, what God wants to talk about, what God wants to reveal, what God wants to show you, the, lo, the logos his message, his thoughts. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, verse 2 tells us something very interesting. He existed in the beginning with God. The Word is not a book. The Word is a person. The Word is a he. The Word is, here's a personal pronoun, he. We are called to have a relationship with a person, not a book. The book is very important, as we will see, but the whole point of knowing God is not to have more knowledge of a book. It's to have an intimacy with an actual person who actually exists. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought life to everyone. I just wanted to show you that the Word's a person. Verse 14, it says, So the Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love, and faithfulness, we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Now notice, it says, for the law, the law is, based, is a quick way of saying the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. Your Bible that you may have in your hands is divided into the New Covenant or the New Contract and the Old Covenant. The law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. Now here's, here's the big verse. This verse right here, among others, really changed the way I viewed who God was. Verse 18, this is Jesus, one of Jesus' closest friends. He said, no one has ever seen God. The word seen can be translated, and is translated actually in other places, as understand or understood. John has the audacity to say, before Jesus came, no one has ever understood who God is. Now, that's an amazing thing. He goes on to say, but the unique one, talking about Jesus, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He, not a book, he has revealed God to us. Now, that's a very interesting thing because as you read through the Old Testament, if you start, and if pastors like me would be honest, when people are sort of saying, you know, I want to find out some more about God and I've been reading my Bible, 
I used to get real concerned when people would say, you know, I've been reading my Bible. Because people, when they start reading their Bible, where do they usually start? What? In the beginning. <laughs> they start at the beginning. And people think that the Bible is a book. But the Bible's not a book. It's a collection of several different documents of all types of different literary genres written by different people at different times. And it's basically a story. But anyway, we get sort of concerned because there's stuff there in the Old Testament that we'd rather them not read. Now, if you have been a Christian very long and you've read certain parts of the Bible, you know what I'm talking about. There's parts in that Old Testament where I don't want people to know God did that before they meet Jesus. I want them to start with Jesus because here's, here's the trouble. We have the idea, and we've sort of presented the idea, that everything that happens or everything that's written in the Bible is something that God approves. It's like God at the beginning of the Bible stands up and says, Hello, my name is God. I approve this message. And then you're supposed to read whatever it says is something that God is advocating. For example, I, I have a, several atheist friends, and I, it's one of my favorite, favorite things to do. I just love to talk to atheists. I love it. I, if, if I could have a church full of atheists, that's what I would do. I would just really look forward to that. I'm, really, I'm, I'm physically getting excited just thinking about a whole group of atheists in the same place. It would be amazing. Because, here's one thing, most atheists I've met know the Bible a lot better than most Christians I know. And it's really exciting to talk to them. Because I will talk about certain things, and when I do with most Christians, they go, Huh? But atheists go, Oh, yeah. And then they give me another one. And I'm like, Wow. You've read the Bible. This is amazing. But, for example, I have an atheist friend that says, you know, there's things in the Old Testament. For example, there's a story of two ladies. Their names are Rachel and Leah. Rachel and Leah were married to the same dude, Jacob. And there's a story because Jacob actually got tricked into marrying Leah by a guy that lied to him. And so he had to marry Leah on his wedding night. He had already had sex with Leah but, whoo, surprise in the morning, hey, that's not my wife. So he has to keep her, and then he has to get the other girl, Rachel, but he loves Rachel more, so usually when it comes home at night, he has sex with Rachel and Leah's left out. But Leah's a real good cook, and she makes these things called mandrakes, but the thing about mandrakes is when you study the history, they're actually hallucinogenic. They, they're, they're like drugs. So, so Rachel really liked Leah's mandrakes, and she says to Leah, who's the other wife, can you imagine wives having to be talking to the other wife that's in your kitchen cooking? That's what the story is in the Bible. You should read your Bible. It's amazing. And Rachel comes in and says, Leah, I'd like to have some of your mandrakes. In other words, I need some drugs. And Leah says, I'll give you some drugs if you'll let me have sex with your husband tonight. And Rachel says, deal. So you have people doing a drug deal for sex in the Old Testament. What's up with that? Does God approve of that? Oh yeah, I do it all the time. No, no, God doesn't approve of that. One of the things that you learn from the Old Testament is that God is not afraid to be honest. God doesn't hide things. God doesn't put a facade. God doesn't try to make His holy men look holy. His holy men are some of the biggest sinners that have ever lived on the face of the earth. And as you read through the Old Testament, you can get a picture of God and it can be very confusing. That's why we don't... There's a purpose to it being there. It was inspired to be there. There are things we can learn and be guided from those things that are in the Old Testament. But John is having the audacity to say, before Jesus came, you guys didn't really understand God. But you can understand Him by looking 
at Jesus. So that's why we say God has revealed himself to us through his message, Jesus Christ. So let's go on to this next one. God, this is another one. God inspired humans to write scripture, the Bible, to help teach, guide, and correct us. We do believe that the Bible is inspired by God, and there are so many things in there. But the Bible, once again, I wish I could just do a whole series on understanding the Bible a little better. But I want to go on and read this. 2 Timothy verse 3. All Scripture is inspired by God. And here's what the Bible says about itself. This is the Apostle Paul talking about the Bible. I don't personally know of somewhere where the Bible comes right out and calls itself the Word of God. But the Bible does call Jesus the Word of God. The message is Jesus. But the Bible is useful. This is what Paul says about the Bible. Oh yes, it's useful. To teach us what is true, to make us realize what's wrong in our life. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. But here's something I like to say, and we don't have time to go real detail on this, but I like to say this. We're not Bibleians. We're Christians. So many times, people are trying to defend the Bible. They almost make the Bible as the fourth member of the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Ghost, and Bible. Like when I was a child, you know, if the Bible was laying on the coffee table and you set your drink down on it, your parents would kill you right there. Oh, you set something on the Bible. God is going to destroy our house. You've disrespected the Bible. No, that's not the purpose of of why God made the Bible. He made it to teach us, to correct us, to guide us, to show us stories of what to do, to, to teach us who Jesus was, to show us stories of what not to do. But we follow Jesus. We're Christians. And Jesus said it this way to the religious leaders of the day. He said, you search the scriptures... Because they did. The Pharisees, they, were, they knew the Bible better than you ever will. The Old Testament. You search the Scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. That's the way most Christians treat the Bible. If I know enough of it, if I believe it exactly right, I believe it from table of contents to maps, some old-timers used to say. From Genesis to Revolutions, they would say. I believe it, every bit of it. And then you show them certain parts of it. For example, this is one of my favorites. The Bible says if your teenager talks back to you, you can kill him. It's in the Bible. You not only get to kill him, you get to call the whole neighborhood together and everybody gets to throw rocks at him. That's in the Bible. Well, you know, I can show you verse after verse after verse after verse like that. Jesus said, you think that they give you eternal life, but the scriptures, the purpose of the scriptures, here's where Jesus lays it out. The scriptures point to me. If the scriptures aren't leading you to a relationship and a love for Jesus Christ, you're using them incorrectly. The scriptures point to Jesus. Okay, we live in a broken world. Here's another thing we believe. We we live in a broken world. Our relationship with God has been severed by sin. We don't believe that the world is in the condition that God wants it to be. God's will is not being accomplished in everything that happens on the earth Else Jesus would not have said, pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If God's will was being accomplished, there's no need to pray for it. Everything that happens, in fact, most of what happens, is not the way God intended it. We live in a broken world. In fact, it happened, and once again, uh, we we find out about this in Genesis 3. Once again, did this actually happen? I believe it happened. Or is it just a poem? Maybe. But here's a case where God told Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, you can do whatever you want. Just don't eat from this one tree. 
Now that one tree is a very, has a very interesting name. Do you remember what that tree was called, you Bible scholars that are here? What? Apple tree? Mango tree? What was it? Huh? Knowledge of good and evil. You guys were probably saying that I just couldn't hear you. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. From the very beginning, and God is still this way, the very sin that separated us from God, the very sin that caused relationships to be torn apart, is this God wanted to reserve for Himself the ability to determine good and evil. The ability to look at a person and know if what they're doing, what they're thinking, the attitude they have is good or evil. We are supposed to remove ourselves from that tree. We are supposed to treat people. In fact, Jesus put it this way. He said, if you want to be a real child of my father, he sends his son and the rain on the just and the unjust exactly alike. You be like him. Leave the whether they're good or evil to him. Don't eat from that tree. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil represents the judgment of whether what you or anybody else, oh, I think they're evil. I'm not going to do that for them because I think what they're doing is wrong. Well, God said, leave that to me. You love them just like I send the sun and the rain on the just and the unjust. You love them like that. Leave the rest to me. That was the sin that... Adam and Eve got involved in it. And here it says, at that moment, at that moment, their eyes were opened. And they suddenly felt shame. They had felt no shame at all before. At their nakedness. Now, this is a very interesting thing. I always wondered, you know, as a teenage boy, were they really naked or is God just doing that to keep my attention? Well, I believe they actually didn't have clothes, but there's more to the fact that they were naked. It means they were open means they were vulnerable 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 that's as hard a word as tur vulnerable that there was nothing between them that was hidden there was no wall there was no facade there was no mask at all when they spoke when they interacted with each other there was total 100% i know everything about you and you know everything about me because i am not ashamed of anything total innocence total openness but when they decided, we want to be, we want to do what God's job is, too. He's the one that's the ultimate judge. We want to do that as well. That's when this divide came. That's when the separation came. Not only between us and God, but it happens in every relationship. To where those, there's those hidden things. There's those things you don't want to show you feel shame for. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. But an interesting thing happened. And, uh, you know, our, our time's quickly getting away, and we won't get to all the things we believe. I'm sorry, I always talk way too much. But here's what I want to leave you with. Notice what happens after they, they begin to cover themselves. Uh, when, the, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid. They hid. Now, I was always taught that when we sinned, when Adam and Eve sinned and when I personally sinned, that it created an offense with God and because God is so holy, God can no longer be in the presence of sin, or people that have sinned can't be in the presence of God. So that sin keeps God from being or even approaching to us because He's so holy that they would like to destroy us if we can't even be in His presence because we have sinned. 
And it gives you this idea that, oh, I'm so terrible, and God is so amazing and holy that I can never, I can never be with this person because I'm, I'm always going to have some sort of sin. But I want you to notice something that happened from the very beginning. This is always how God has been, and this is surely how God acted when Jesus was here on the earth. An entirely different concept. Not, you've sinned so I can't be around you. They are the ones that hid from the Lord God among the trees. But what did God do? Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Where are you? God comes looking for them. If you think that God didn't know where he was, no, God knew where he was. God knew what they had done. But God shows his attitude. God shows his love. God shows who he is from the very beginning that, yes, our relationship with God has been severed by what we have done. Yes, there is a divide there. But God has always been coming and pursuing after us. He's always been looking for us. He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. But God came looking for him. And then we'll just end with this one. God became a man. And there's, there's more. Go to the website. You can see the rest of them. God became a man, Jesus Christ. God the Father sent Jesus to earth to live as our example and to die as our substitute. We believe that Jesus came to represent who God, God was. Hebrews verse, chapter 1, verse 3 says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. God looks like Jesus. Colossians, the Apostle Paul said it this way, that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. You can't see God, you can't shake his hand, you can't talk to him, ask him what he's like, but we can see Jesus and everything that Jesus did. He came to live. The way that Jesus lived on the earth is the way he's sort of giving a preview. It's like the the movie trailer as to what's going to happen all through eternity and actually the way that we as believers are supposed to live here on the earth, everything that Jesus did did during his life was to show us this is how it's done but then in his death in his death what he did was display by him by him climbing up on this cross is to display this is what god's love looks like we believe that jesus god jesus looks more like god hanging on the cross than anywhere else because jesus said even though what you've done is offensive even though what you've done has destroyed the plan of my creation even though you deserve punishment, even though you deserve me to come in here like a, uh, an angry father that their, their son has offended them, to come in here and punish you, to even kill you, because you're my enemies. You're acting like my enemies. Jesus said, instead of killing my enemies, what I'm going to do is I'm going to die for you. I'm going to die for you. I could destroy you and start all over, but no, I, I, instead I think I will die and demonstrate that this is what love looks like. No matter what you've done, I'm accepting the blame. I'm displaying what God's love is. We believe Jesus came to live as our example and to die as our substitute. And uh, I want to say one more thing, and I've, I've gone two minutes over. You can throw the penalty flag if you want. But um, I had a person ask this, and I just want to answer these two things really quickly. I have people ask from time to time, why don't you do altar calls? An altar call is where at the very end you say, bow your head, close your eyes, the band starts to play. 
you get in a certain mood and you say, if you'd like to accept Jesus, raise your hand. Yes, I see that hand. I see that hand. There's nothing wrong with that. That was a technique that was developed well, probably around the 50s. Billy Graham used it a whole lot. And there are Christians that think that Jesus came up with that and that's in the Bible. And if you don't do that, that you're somehow going to hell. There are times where we do ask if you'd like to accept Christ and we pray with people. But the way that it seems that Jesus did things is he just told people, hey, follow me. No questions asked, just follow me. And as they traveled together, it's, that, that's why we say that our mission is to set up dates with God. If any of you, how many of you remember your very first date with your current wife? Dudes, you remember your first date? I know I'm putting you on the spot here. How many of you guys remember your first date? After the first time you're dropping her off, you say, okay, I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. You've got to make a decision. You've got to make a decision right now. Is it me or somebody else? Because I'm ready to get married. I want to get married right now. Are you going to marry me? If you did that, it's not the girl that's with you now, probably. <laughs> and we all hate that. You go to look at a car, and the guy says, what does it take for me to get you in this car today? And we hate that. We're like, actually, I'm just looking. Actually, I'm lost. Is, is this Walmart? Oh, this isn't Walmart. Goodbye. No. We just want to kick the tires. And it's just like dating. You date a while and you say, well, you know, her breath didn't stink. She didn't pass gas. I'm, I'm taking her out again. And so as you go on several dates, eventually, you really don't, you may not even know the time. You'll wake up one morning and you'll go, I'm in love with this girl. I don't know when it happened, but I'm in love. I think that happens more than we allow it with Jesus. We want people to be able to, in a pressure-free environment, investigate who Jesus is, and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds over the past few years have eventually stepped across that line in an altar call, writing it down on a card, during a baptism, when we ask how many people want to be baptized, we always talk to them. Now, do you believe Jesus? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, it, I don't know when it happened, but yeah, yes, I do. So that, that's why we don't. And then another thing that someone asked, and this is, we'll maybe talk more about this in the series, is because I express sometimes, and I expressed it last week, that I occasionally have doubts about God. That there are times that I, as a pastor, that I'll, it'll be Wednesday afternoon, and I'll be trying to pray, or all these things have happened, and I actually am thinking, you know, does this guy even really exist? What is this all about? I'm not even sure there is a God. And, uh, you know, people sometimes get upset when I say that. They're like, now do you, <laughs> the person asked me, do you believe in God? You know, I really need to know. Well, most of the time, yes. But the reason I express that, and the reason I'm talking about our beliefs, is because I want you to know it's all right to question. It's all right. Jesus never said to people, follow me if you absolutely believe that I am the Son of God. Jesus rose from the dead, appeared to the guys that had been with him for three and a half years, day and night. He appeared to them. They saw him die. They saw him put him in a tomb. Three days later, he appeared to them, and the New Testament say, said, and some doubted. I'm like, dudes... He was dead. There he is. And you're doubting? So that's why I don't ever get upset with myself. I used to. I used to consider it, oh, I failed God. God doesn't love me because I doubt. No. It's all right to question. It's all right to doubt. It's all right to investigate. That's why we're going to talk these next several weeks 
on what exactly is the starting point of our faith. And as we do that, I think those doubts and questions will become less and less, and you will honestly get to know this person of Jesus who thinks you're amazing. So we're going to pray, then we're going to be dismissed. Father, I just thank you that you are amazing. You're so loving. You're so kind. We've misunderstood you for so long. Help us to see the beauty of who you are in Christ. Help us to see that... um, Faith is such a wonderful experience and a wonderful relationship. It's not something that's rigid. It's not something that's very sanitary. Believe this, do this, push this button, pull this lever. But that it's, it's a date. It's, a, it's a, a romance with you. Help us to see that. Open our hearts. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Be there tonight, 5 o'clock. Thanks for hanging out today, and you guys have a great week.